Welcome to the Wise Business Podcast, a show dedicated to making you a better entrepreneur through the latest digital marketing strategies, trends, and advice. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Wise Business Podcast. I'm your host, Carmen Mastro-Piero, and today I'm joined by Sunil Ghazi, who is a public speaker, author, and business coach. He's grown several ventures to $20 million and nowadays helps companies improve their employee productivity, engagement, and create better relationships. So Sunil, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Looking forward to educating your listeners on intuition and the value of it when it comes to relationships. Very important key. Yes, sir. No problem. Just to kick things off, what's your background in business and how'd you get to where you are today? Absolutely. So my business background really kind of stemmed from unfortunately, unfortunately, not listening to my intuition. Uh, and as a as a uh, South Asian male, doctor, lawyer, engineer, I fell into, and of course, door number four is failure, according to Indians, East Indians. Uh, so I became the engineer. And then when uh, it, I, it was a three year stint that I really didn't like. Uh, right. And the second of the three years, I got a chance to be a private investor in Senior Frogs, which is a big Mexican chain. And when I came up and when I, we brought it up to Canada and I was making five times more in dividends than I was working as an engineer. And so it was very, it was apparent to me that I needed to leave engineering to be, become the entrepreneur. And sure. all throughout my life, there were sort of snippets or breadcrumbs about entrepreneurial skills, uh, whether it's in selling suits, whether it was in bake sales even. Yep. Uh, and, and so the, all these sort of indicators of that. And when I left engineering, one venture after another, I got into retail clothing, online clothing, pop-up events, entertainment company. Uh, and that was where I amassed the $20 million in revenues, uh, went on to consult, uh, helping other companies go from the biggest one was three net. We went from about 350,000, 400,000 to about three and a half million in about two and a half years. Amazing. So, and then that was sort of my, the business side of things and getting into things like, you know, leadership, HR, marketing, sales, all these sort of pillars and really kind of tied it off with how intuition really helped deliver those relationships that eventually we get into when it comes to laggard indicators, like productivity, like performance. But the problem sometimes is that those are laggard indicators and we're not taking care of the leading indicators, which is where that, those intangibles start coming into play. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny we were talking about the stock market before because there's lagging yeah. indicators, leading indicators, and kind of has that parallel. So what are some of like the main services you do for people? It's like business coaching and different things yep. like that, right? Yeah. So on the on the personal side, uh, so I get into um, more of the one-on-one. So uh, there's a four-week accelerator where I look at developing those relationships and really th- doing things like dealing with those intuitive hurdles. So that's on the personal side. On the on the business side, I get into helping them either in the in the, in the sales area, marketing, um, HR and leadership specifically on how to strengthen their relationships and why intuition is important in leading it. And one of the things that people don't realize is intuition. First of all, it's, it's, it hits the, from a scientific perspective, it hits the uh, amygdala, which is the primal part of the brain, the fight or flight. Right. And there's no real language around it, but it's just that you, you know, you feel, you trust those, these basic things, but you can see whenever you walk into a room or you meet someone, you get that intuitive feeling whether you trust that person or not that's what we're talking about so when you're hiring someone when you're leading someone uh the marketing copy the sales copy and this is speaks to your expertise in copywriting Mm -hmm. you got to make sure that you you really establish a trusted relationship and that trust comes from intuition right because if you have copy that's that sells which is fantastic um that leads me down the path but if there's a disconnect between what you're selling and what i see you doing now I don't trust you. And that's the in, that's where your intuition comes in. And so you might have me down a certain part of the funnel, but you'll never get me deeper. 
yes. because there's a disconnect from my intuitive perspective. This is where intuition is a really key thing, why it's a two-way street. Uh, and so I help businesses on that perspective. And then for entrepreneurs that are coming in, if they have a venture idea, why? What's your purpose? Uh, you know, what are you trying to change? What value are you trying to pro provide to customers? That's really important to understand because if there's no purpose behind it, um, then the, why are you doing it? Exactly. And, and, and I think even in, in, this, in the COVID situation we have here, I've been busier than ever because yeah. more people are having these internal conversations. More businesses are really f having these internal conversations to figure out what they're really here for. And that affects their messaging, how they treat customers, how they treat their employees. And so my business has really increased because of that. Um, just because intuition is really the, the start of having that, that talk. If you don't fix that intuitive relationship, nothing's going to work. Exactly. Yeah, I think the emotional aspect of business is like really underrated in terms of empathy, the emotional intelligence, understanding like your customers, your employees, all that. It's so important because we're humans and we're emotional deep down no matter what. Absolutely. And, and you, you can, you know, a lot of people like to hang their head on stats and things. Like that. And as, mm -hmm. of course, I love to as well. And when I started down this, this road of intuition, that was one of the first things I looked at. Well, here's this intangible that people initially yeah. are talking about, which is, and at that time, it was 2012, 13, we're looking at, at spirituality, meditation, coming from the cosmos. And that's fine if you think like that. Uh, and if you understand that's what it is. And I even had one, it was a former NHL coach who said that intuition came from the cosmos. So, he, and it's so like, I'm going, wow. You know, I would, I thought, you know, an, an NHL coach yeah. dealing with uh, players and data and stats has this, this, nobody's just ever asked him that question. Mm -hmm. uh, so when you look at some of the stats from a business perspective, you know, uh, if you look at a customer, if you lose a, it's six times cheaper to have a customer, to have a customer that's existing. If you look at uh, the uh, the longevity of people in in jobs, um, you know, three point nine years for Gen uh, X's, three point two years for Gen Z, and one side can say, well, they're lazy and they keep flipping. The I think the more common approach that I'm hearing now, and from talking to Gen Zers now, is they want to find a, a company that has a purpose, that sure. where they feel fulfilled, and so when they do, they're obviously going to stay longer. And I think sometimes what happens in the media is the media has a, a tendency to take these outliers and make a big deal out of outliers definitely. when the norm is not what's happening out there. Yeah, definitely. What do you think are ways we can use intuition in business when we're running one? So the biggest thing that I take a look at, if it's if especially from a leadership perspective, is uh, you know have that empathy. And empathy, you have to make sure it's not kumbaya, hug everybody yeah. and do those things. It, being authentic, what that means is you're just being you. And when people know that you're being you, then there's that trust factor. And then understanding where people are from, what's the context, and giving that, them that space or that what we call psychological safety to make mistakes, to uh, be creative and use their own ideas, uh, and have respect for the other people. And when you lead that organization like that from the start, or when you need to make that change, what ends up happening is you're going to start to repel people that don't want that that aren't going to be there because they will self-select themselves out yes um if they're already in the organization and or if you're if they're not in the organization you've got your hr team aligned so that you will select them out and so what ends up happening is now you have a number of people in your company that are their sole goal is to live that purpose that you've driven for that organization and that all starts from intuition before it even becomes core values, because intuition is the intangible. Your core values are the words that you put around that. Right. So 
any kind of core value that you have has to be felt by the employees. They have to feel it. Yes. And anybody that's worked in an organization, if you walk the hallways, you can feel whether you want to be there or not. It's it's just black or white, or yeah. is it comfortable or uncomfortable? Are you there as a statistic or are you just looking for the next job? I mean, it's so pervasive. And that's how companies need to build their uh, their relationships around. That's the type of culture that they need to have in the hallways. And when they do, you're going to crush the competition because the competition is looking sideways, but you everybody's looking down and worried about just moving ahead that they won't even see you coming. Yeah. And you'll just pass right by them because you don't need the fanfare. You've got your, your you know, the customers are coming to you. You're stealing customers from them. Yep. Because now customers have found, wow, here's a company that resonates with my intuitive values. They may not use that same language, but when you buy a product or service, what need is it filling? Now, it could be a transactional need um, or it could be something of value, but even a transactional need, like why do I go to Walmart? You know, why do I buy that brand of ketchup? Uh, you know, what does it make me feel versus uh, uh, an off brand or a different brand? Exactly. Um, and so, and it all comes down to even these micro feelings about that brand, that product. So that brand or product has to make sure that it accentuates those, those micro feelings and that they're being honest about it. Uh, because the moment that they're dishonest and it goes against my values, not only will I stop buying that product, I'm going to buy a competitor. Yes. And now for you to get that, to get me back, there's something called opportunity cost. Many people don't realize mm -hmm. this. When you make a bad decision, or in this case, you lose me as a customer, not only is it the cost in your marketing. Uh, but the to, future uh, as well. Yes, exactly. So it's, 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 the, it's the cost of bringing me back. It's also the cost of taking me out of your competitor yeah. because I've already made that switching cost. Uh, so it's at least twice as much. Yeah. And so this is why if, if you don't make the change now to do it properly, it's going to be a very expensive road for you. And there's a reason why 91% of businesses fail after the first two years and only 90 and 90 and only 1% survive after five. Very true. Uh, and it's because of this, it's that, that, that 1% are the ones that are able to transcend. Uh, and we're all seeing it now, right? With who do you want to buy from? Values are becoming a lot more and it's, and, and, Less, I guess, in my generation, a lot for, for my kids. Mm -hmm. My kids are buying stuff and I can see the decisions that they make and why they're making them and what does it do for them. And so I can see just, for, and they're, they're younger, nine and 14, but, but just by observing how they, how they speak, how they interact, what they're talking about with the friends and the stuff that they buy, why, right? For yeah. me, it's, it's very interesting to ask that. So I'm seeing that more so aggressively in, their, in, the, in that generation. And so that translates to, Profits or losses, very yeah. simple. Yeah, definitely a very underrated part of business. I know there's a Harvard professor that in his studies and data that he collected, he found that the purchasing process is about 95% emotional. And I think that's totally true. Like in every facet of marketing, business, copywriting, same with your employees and hiring, that aspect is just so underrated. People aren't tapping into it. And if you do, you just kind of keep customers, you keep your employees, you make them so much happier. And of course, we want to be more productive too. Everybody wants to be, you know, getting more things done and manage their time. So how can we boost productivity? Maybe not just even as people, but the organization itself. So the, the first, so productivity again is a laggard indicator. Yeah. So if you want to boost your productivity, then you have to start worrying about how you treat people uh, and people around you and have that level of respect. And a lot of it's just being you, being authentic. If it means you have to change these mission statements or vision statements that are on a wall, you need to do that. Get back to what, what, who's the best employee that you have 
And why are they there? Why are they your best employees? You know, and it's not that you want to bring your employees to help you with the with the core value statements. You have to be very careful because the core value statements have to be done by the, the senior management. But the the employees can be on the execution side. But why is that employee there and happy to be there? What is it about your company that that wants that is getting them to produce like crazy? Because their productivity is already a laggard indicator. But it's that feeling. Why are they why are they there? And if most of the people are like that then either you've got your core values down or you have to make slight changes because you're, you've got some that don't like to be there or they're, they're just for transaction, being transaction nature. So it's really coming down to, okay, how do I establish intuitive relationships? And that comes back to me. How do I manage? How do I set up my hiring processes? What kind of questions am I going to ask uh, that are off the, uh, the usual things that people can memorize? Yeah. If, I put, if I put an employee in an uncomfortable situation and talk, talk about failure, are they blaming someone? Are they taking responsibility? Or is there is there is it a canned response? And you can tell because there's lack of detail. Yeah. Um, how are they with the culture that you have, right? And so even just at the hiring stage, do they fit in? Will they fit in? And you'll know that if you're leading that organization, you'll know what that culture is. You'll see the you'll see the uh, um, uh, the interactions. You'll see how they behave. They talk, even if they're extroverted or introverted. Your intuition will take that into account for sure, uh, and and make sure that they're really integrating well with the culture. So if you start doing things like that then what you do is you affect people on that emotional level, as that Harvard professor says, now you really want to be engaged with that company. You really want to work for that boss. You believe in the products and service. You're filling a need for the customer. You're valuing them because that customer feels good. So it's not about uh, uh, you know, another hit to the revenue, uh, an yeah. uptick on the revenue. What did, you, what did you help that customer do? Right? And so what, what, what did, how, how did, did you improve that customer's life? And when you start feeling like that, thinking like that, there's a lot of emotion, positive emotion put in. People want to work for you. And when they want to work for you, naturally that productivity is going to go up. Naturally, teamwork is going to happen. Naturally, you're going to get them to solve the problems on their own. Uh, and that's how you increase productivity. And yes. it all starts with the intangible called intuition that drives it there. And that's with the relationships that you establish. Yeah, for sure. How do you think we can make like an office culture or culture that makes people happy and engaged and then, you know, creates that productivity boost? Well, a lot of it comes, again, it comes to the top. It's the, it's the leadership yeah. and, and it really has to be driven there. I mean, you can use some of the employees to, to help in those cases and they're great, uh, but you really have to, you know, take a step back and really start with why are we here? Yeah. What's our purpose? What, even if it's a product or service, even if it's an accounting firm, for example, uh, if it's an accounting firm and say, well, what kind of what kind of intuitive things are we have yeah. having as an accounting firm? Well, what if that if that person didn't have you as an accounting firm? How much much life? Uh, how much easier is that is that company's life going to be because you're there? Uh, and so you start having those kind of conversations, those transactional relationship types of things, from a customer perspective, from an employee perspective. You, you know, there's that level of respect. Um, you know, getting down. And then what I do with, uh, with um, companies is I measure there's four types of intuition. So where are they on those four types of intuition? And based on where they are with that, you know, how do you manage them? What are their values? What do they see? So if you look at an employee from that perspective, then you manage them based on what are their intuitive strengths? Um, you know, what are their values that they look through? What's important to them? And that's how you manage them. Are they transactional versus creative, right? And, and some of these things that I measure in a company, help to do that. So then you can manage that person accordingly. Or if you see them as um, management material and they're not as creative, how do you move them up to be more creative 
that's natural for them. So right. that they're actually being creative. You're not forcing them. And so that's what happens when you start shaping the, 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 uh, the employees that are under you, because a leader is you, you manage people and the people create the products and services to, to your customers. And so that's where the leadership have to realize that you got to stop looking at PLs and that's your, your, these are like it. Stop For sure. harping on that. Stop harping about shareholder, shareholder value. You should worry about your employees and everybody you have under you. And as an entrepreneur, that's a great place to start because if you don't have one uh, employees, you have the ability to create that culture right from the start. Yep. Or it's easier enough to be nimble enough if you have a number of people to start instituting that. And when you start instituting this kind of language and you're being genuine about it, you'll very quickly see the ones that are going to be surprised in a good way. And there could be others that are looking at you funny, but then if they're looking at you funny, are they the right people in the organization? They're pre-selected. Exactly. exactly. And so those are the ones that will move because you are now encroaching on an area because you see, they see you as transactional. They don't care about you anyways. And so they're going to select out and you're going to select someone that really wants to be there. And often I'd say hundred percent of the time, you're going to get more productivity out of the replacement than you will than the person gone. And I've seen this time and time again, where I've helped companies who want to fire employees, yeah. keep them. Right. Hmm. And the one case study I have is, is when we went from, this was a company that was struggling $350,000 a year. I ended up growing it to three and a half million in two and a half years. I started with trust. Employees were leaving, partners were leaving because one of the co-CEOs was lying. They couldn't trust him. They treated them in a very transactional manner. Yeah. And so when I came in, I said, uh, there's one thing, uh, you guys stay out of my way. If you want me to come, uh, obviously I'll be bouncing off strategic directions and all the directions for increasing, uh, for expansion, but you need me to let me do what I want. And so they were bleeding cash. The first thing I did is across the board, uh, increase the hourly rates for all the uh, admin staff. Interesting. And they're like, oh, what? Yeah. You know, uh, how we, you, we just went from, you know, being told that we may be laid off to now increasing sal our yeah. salaries. And that brought a lot of the trust. And it was these employees that actually helped me create a lot of the processes and the operations manual so that we could expand. When we did expand, they were there to help solve the problems because they trusted me. Uh, and that trust, an intangible based on intuition, uh, got, got this company to be very successful. And then I left um, because they didn't do an equity play. I was asking for right. a piece of the company. Yeah. And the one, the one CEO that kept lying, I was a threat to him. Mm. Um, and so uh, I said, listen, this is getting expensive for you guys because I was getting a percentage of top line. Yeah. Let's turn that into an equity deal. Uh, but both of you have to be on board and both weren't. Uh, the one who was threatened said no, kept saying no. And I said, okay, uh, I'm going to move on because there are other companies that are now in the pipeline that are actually doubling what they're going to pay me because they really want me to come on board. And six months later, that whole business imploded. Oh, geez. I'd Three and a half million down to zero in, uh, and with lawsuits uh, yeah. after six months. Um, and it's a sad story because it was propped up by what we're talking about, this intangible, the, the trust, the two-way intuitive relationship, very important. And then they went to bat for me and they made things so much easier mm -hmm. for me and all the other employees. It was such a joy to be around them. Uh, and I'm assuming it was a joy for them to be around me, yeah. I suppose, but I can only talk about what I felt. It was so positive and yeah. uh, it was a great company until, you know, uh, you, you lose that ability to do that. And again, it was the top, the people at top that ruined it and brought the house of cards down. Yeah. It all trickles down from the top. Do you think it's good to kind of like document and 
you know, have those kind of values and things organized. So then, you know, it kind of reflects in your marketing material when you have meetings yep. and things like that. So it's good to kind of have it somewhere, right? Absolutely. And so when, when you start having those types of core values, and this is now where we're putting the language around intuition, when you have those core values that mean something that where people feel, what happens is most of the people are going to resonate with that. So it, like, for example, if you were to ask, and there was, a, I, I just had Darius uh, uh, on, uh, he's all about core values. I had him on uh, uh, my podcast interview last week, and he was saying that in a room that he was speaking at, if they asked a number of people, how many CEOs knew what their core values were, uh, 50% of them were able to put their hands up. And of those 50%, he asked how many can recite them right now. And even more hands went down. Yeah. And it ended up coming down to after in a, in a room full of 20, I think it was 2000 people or something like that. Like one person was left oh, wow. who knew what the core values were right down to the team. They were down to four, but they were all based on, and it was like great customer service, but it was more like put people first. Yeah. Right. And so if you take customer service and you say, put people first, that's something that the employees could rally around. And so when they have those feelings they, they those get infused into the workplace and, and then, then it becomes the core value that you can talk about and that you translate that to your customers. Uh, and so that's what, in, how intuition really leads to the right core values. We've got that, the feelings, the emotions, um, rather than just great customer service, what does that mean? Right. Yeah. I'm sure there's, there's in this block, one block area, I'm sure I can talk to a number of them. They all have that same thing. Great For customer sure. service, but they don't deliver on that. How do they mm -hmm. do that? And so when you have those feelings, what happens is they get infused into the processes. Uh, and so if it's about customer service, okay, what is it about these processes that heighten customer service? Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that the customer is, is right all the time. What I'm saying is what value do you bring to the customer? What are you helping improve their life by your product or service? And again, we can come down to just catch up, right? So we don't have to be, you know, kumbaya and have, uh, you know, talk about meditation, all that. Yeah. We can just come down to a product. And what does that ketchup do for me? What does it do for my kids? How does it make us feel around the table? How does it help our food, right? And when we help our food, it tastes, makes our fries taste better. Then we can enjoy a family dinner together. And so now you've got something as simple as ketchup. Now you've got sort of an emotional dynamic on, yeah, you know, so ketchup helps create family dynamics. And so your job as a marketer, as a copywriter, is to make that translation Absolutely. so that people feel that. Isn't that amazing? Kind of drilling down and like you take a simple product and really you don't even realize the impact it's having on people emotionally, their Absolutely. daily life. And what were the four types of intuition you mentioned? Absolutely. So the four types, the biggest one is called experiential intuition. Okay. Uh, and so many people that don't sometimes don't understand about intuition, they say, okay, and one of, the, and one of my interviewees was John Rothschild. And mm -hmm. John was someone who didn't believe in intuition. He was an investment banker. Uh, and so data, spreadsheets yeah. ruled the roost for him. Um, and so... Yeah, I sat down, I said, oh, give me an hour. And he says, look, I don't understand intuition. We'll take five minutes and we'll talk about intuition. The rest, let's just catch up. Yeah. Uh, so we sat down, the video was on while I'm interviewing. And he first starts saying, yeah, you know, I wish I could shake the hand of this person, Omen, who has these omens. Business decisions, yeah, I don't think intuition comes into it. But in the next hour, I'm educating him that, you know, one of the four types, as I mentioned, is experiential intuition. So you're learning, you experience that you've had in the past, even when you're born, gets put into subconscious area of your brain. Yes. Um, and so it stores it like a library so that when you're making a decision or coming up with a relationship issue, it looks at the past experience that you've had with that relationship and said, okay, these are the good things that happen. These are the bad things that happen. And then it speaks to you through the intuitive signals 
that tell you whether you're making the right decision or not. So in John's case, once I started telling him that, well, you know, it actually works on intuition. Sometimes it goes against the data. He had an example for that. Uh, and then the last example was John, um, and there's the second one is called creative intuition. Yeah. And creative intuition is one that gives you the ability to make a creative decision. And so the last question for John was, what was a decision you made that was so obtuse that people thought you were nuts? And he said, I can easily tell you that. So this is a guy, again, like I said, spreadsheets, data, uh, limousines, high-end restaurants, yeah. private jets, three or $4 million a year, trades it all off. And he decides to run this one tiny bankrupt little restaurant. Interesting. Everybody's thinking he's nuts. Uh, how, how can you do that? And I'm sure there's a lot of psychiatrists on speed dial yeah. from his friends. But he did. He quit. He rolled up his sleeves and he rocked into that bankrupt restaurant. That was Eastside Mario's location number one. Oh, wow. And that became over a thousand locations in 20 years, $2 billion in revenues before he retired, all because of an intuitive decision. So wow. now we've got experiential intuition, creative intuition. The other two are the one is called situational intuition. And that's where you go into a situation and, and you see something's out of place. I just feel that there's, and, and I've had uh, other people where they've walked into, like they've gone down a, um, they, they see an alleyway and say, something's off. There's yeah. no people there, uh, but I'm sure everyone's been in that situation. Or when, when my wife and I go uh, shopping for a home and we were looking for our first home, if we can easily open the door, we get that feeling. Yeah. This is a house or a home very quickly. I, we don't, and, and, you know, there's more time taken in, in opening and closing the door than us saying yes or no. Of course. That's our situational intuition saying, no, this is not it. And so that's how that works. And the fourth one is called relational intuition. And that's the one that looks at other people in the picture saying, okay, do I trust that person? So academic research has shown that it takes only 14 seconds to trust someone uh, and even half a second to notice uh, a twitch, a facial twitch. And so what you're looking for is in the, in the way the body language is, in the words versus the actions, uh, is this person being deceptive or is it be person being trustworthy? And it's always on. So it, you can have, you can be best friends with someone and six months later, maybe something happens to that, that him or her. And then they start moving away from the values that you think are dear. Then your intuition is going to say something's wrong. Uh, that person is now going against my values in a way that I'm not comfortable with. I need to move away from that relationship. Yep. And so that's the, the fourth one called relational intuition. So all four of those work together in a split second to help you make the decision that you're going to make. And we talked earlier about the intuitive signals. And so everyone has a unique set of positive signals and unique set of negative signals. Uh, positive signals that are common are, you know, a pulling or the dots connecting or it just feels right. Yeah. Typically of the, of the over a thousand people I've talked to now uh, for my podcast series, this one seems to be very common. The negative ones uh, are, you know, just something, I feel something's off or an anxiousness and some people get migraine headaches and a real obtuse one is left earlobe getting hot. There was an entrepreneur I that so. I interviewed who didn't know what his signals were until he started talking to me about the failures he had and the ventures he was with. And every time there was a venture that he failed at, he started rubbing his left earlobe. Right. And it just hit him. He says, Sunil, I just figured out what my signal is. And now I remember distinctly when I was going through these, to these ventures, my left earlobe getting hot. Yeah. And so again, those, those are all individual signals that we all have. And you have to be careful. Like a lot of us use these terms like gut feeling and some people see, hear a voice. But let's just take the voice example, for example. 
if it's a voice, if that's signal number one, that's great because now what's, what you're doing is you're, you're trusting your intuition based on that first decision. But if that is signal number three, then what happens is you miss the first two signals because you haven't taken proper time to figure out what these baskets of signals are. And when you haven't taken, if you miss those two signals, that tells me you made two bad decisions. So those two bad decisions could be the fact that maybe, you know, you just made a hiccup uh, on an Excel spreadsheet and, you know, you just need to fix it. Or you could be headed down bank uh, towards bankruptcy because you don't know how severe that, that bad decision is. Right. So this is where you really need to take time to figure out what the components of intuition are that, that behave for you, uh, what the signals are that are really, really important. And when you have that in place, now you're able to figure out in terms of your relationships, who you can trust and who you can't. And that sets the stage for you to make the right decision so that you stop wasting time making the bad decisions when it comes to relationships. And again, we're talking about two times the cost, right? Yeah. Um, and so it's really, really important you do that right from the outset. And that my whole Intuitionology project is about that. Um, and so I take people through a seven-day challenge, which is also free. They can get a copy of the ebook. And in that seven-day challenge, they pick a relationship problem that they have an issue with. And then in seven days, I show them how their components of intuition can help solve that problem. And now they've got a template of the seven-step process that they can take for any decision that they use in any part of their life. Nice. And, and so, and then that way they're always trusting their intuition to make those decisions. Um, and if they need to spend time doing it, spend the time, right? Yeah, it's a process. Important. It's a process for sure. Yeah, yeah take some time, some self-awareness, got to develop it over time. And you have a couple of books out, you mentioned. So what are those? Yeah. And like, you know, what do they teach people? Yeah. So the first book was fail fast, succeed faster. And that was about if you, the premise behind that is if you were to learn about the failures of others, then you should be able to succeed faster. Um, and it was interesting that my, my, the whole gut book, which is the second one, came from this because the one thing I got from those when I used to speak on stages around the world on this is uh, entrepreneurs used to come up to me and say, what's the one thing that um, can, we can do that's going to help us succeed? Yeah. And so at that time, I was kind of rolling my eyes saying, well, this whole, this, I, I've, I've interviewed 286 people, 75 stories in the book. Um, so there's not really one thing. Yeah. Yet when I went back to the audio recordings, 80 to 90% of them used some form of, I, I knew I should have, I should have trusted my gut. Uh, I should have used my intuition, something to that form. And that really struck me saying, wow, a lot of the people who went through their failures or their hurdles are on this thing called intuition. They're, they're, they're saying that they should have trusted this thing. And that's how I started to think about, okay, when did intuition play a role in my life? Uh, and I remember distinctly when I was five years old, I had these video games that my dad wanted, that I wanted to buy. And my dad yeah. said, sorry, they're too expensive. Uh, and I, I distinctly remember this voice saying, Sunil, go door to door and raise money. Nice. And I raised $200, $100 went to my dad. The other $100 went to my to charity, to my school, because that's something I loved uh, and make me feel good. And that was my first brush with intuition. But then when I thought about when I ignored intuition, I talked earlier about going into engineering yeah. because I ignored my intuition. Uh, when I was a management consultant, there was a, a contract terms that were changing. So some of the management in, in the other company changed the contract terms. And my intuition was telling me something's up, I should back away. But the, uh, there was so much money with this contract and it was in Silicon Valley. And it was buzzing at the time yeah. that I spent every single penny going down there and the company didn't pay me. And I ended up coming back to Canada with 25 cents in my bank account and oh, wow. about to be married in two years. 
Um, and I remember my wife saying, how are things going? And I'm thinking, yeah, things are excellent. No yeah. problem. And I'm driving. And I'm wondering, where am I going to sleep that night? Because I, I, I was, I was on the road yeah. and I had, I didn't have anywhere to go. And then the third one was when I looked back, uh, I was in engineering and I was doing some coaching at the time and I had a friend of mine who needed to uh, get some advice. She was being stalked. Um, and so I, my intuition was saying, meet with her that afternoon. I didn't have anything planned that afternoon, yeah. but for some stupid reason, I said, let's meet a couple of days later. The very next day, that same guy walked up to her at a bus shelter and shot her and killed her. Wow. And that's when I really got serious saying, okay, why I knew what the right decision was. Why did I ignore it? Yeah. What was this something that I ignored? And that got me really to take a deep dive into this thing called intuition and take a look at it from a scientific perspective. Is, is there science in it? And boom, there's all these MRIs, brain scans, uh, tens of thousands of articles yeah. on where intuition is, where it goes, there's neuroscience research hitting the amygdala. Um, research shows that it happens seven to 10 seconds before you actually take an action, make a decision. Entrepreneurs make uh, uh, use intuition seven seconds before they make an actual business decision. These are all done in research. Uh, and recent neurology research, neuroscience research, that's going to be coming out. A colleague was telling me that that's as, as early as 23 seconds before wow. you actually make a, a, a business decision or a personal that doesn't matter. That's how quick your intuition is. That's how far earlier it helps you make a decision. And so what happens is in that 7 to 10 seconds or 23 seconds, we screw it up. And that's what I'm trying to help people do is not do that. Yeah. That's amazing. I'm definitely gonna start thinking more about that, researching more into it. Cause I always love when there's like something scientific, but also there's like spiritual elements. I think it kind of goes hand in hand. And I personally love that kind of seeing the studies, the clinical trials, but then there's that kind of like, like, like you said, meditation, the mindfulness aspect. It's kind of cool to mix the two, I think sometimes. Absolutely. And, and, and so, and there's sort of the art and science balance to it. And what yeah. I found is there's, there's actually one group of people that actually, and this is also an important point, uh, is that they, there's a lot of people that talk about mindset being present, uh, and, but they don't walk the talk because you really, really have to be present. Um, and one of the things, a really good case study is, is uh, there's a friend of mine named Hal Eisenberg and Hal and I got together because we were in sort of the mindset intuition, kind of the same yeah. thing. And it, he just kind of talked, about it and he lived he thought he lived his life like that and then he saw me speak about intuition about the four types and the signals and there's things called intuitive hurdles and then he said wow you know that really crystallizes it even more for me um and I, and i just kind of kind of get it and i really kind of get it but sunil's talking about you know living in the present moment really living the present moment he said he didn't get it he didn't get what i was meaning until he got covid 19. oh wow he ended up in a New York hospital. He actually wanted to die. He had an intuitive life or death moment. And his intuition said, you're not done. You have a voice. And he remembers feeling like the other, and I used to characterize it like an open field, like a, and it's just, it, that's how he felt like it. So he lived. Um, and five days later, he told me the story. He was my very first podcast guest for my podcast series and intuition. Like what a way to start a podcast series. Of course. But he now knew when he reflects back, he was just talking about it. He wasn't living it. And so after this experience, he now lives it. Even the decisions he's made, he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even when he got COVID, he said the signals were there, Sunil. The intuitive signals, were there. you talk about signals, I knew and I passed it off. Uh, and he ended up fighting for his breath. Yeah. 
right? And his intuition was telling him much earlier that he should have gone to the hospital. Eh, right? So here's someone that was, this is a case study. And one thing that people also have a problem with is fear. There's the fear of change, fear of the unknown, uh, you know, fear of failure. When it comes to understanding intuition and making those business decisions or, or even a personal decision, you have to take the step forward and you'll know it's the right step because of these things called intuitive signals. So if you're taking the step, even though you might feel fearful, you know that it's a positive signal because you've identified that as part of your inventory. Yeah. And a really good study, a case study of this is I had a friend of mine, um, David Dame, who has uh, uh, Parkinson's disease and he ended up in the wheelchair. And his dream was to actually dip his toe in the ocean. And so he had his wife and a couple of handlers take his, uh, take his uh, wheelchair to go to the ocean, gets up, puts his toe in the ocean and falls flat on his face. Oh, wow. And he says, Sunil, at that moment, there's two things I could do. I could succumb to that fear and that regret and sit in my wheelchair for the rest of my life and always regret that I was never able to follow, fulfill this dream of mine. Or I can simply trust my intuition, over the, overcome the fear, and take a step, and take the next step, and take a next step. Yeah. And he, he, he continues to take a step, and he's pointing for those watching. He points up to his chin, says the water gets to about here. And then he looked back. Yeah. And when he looked back, he couldn't believe how far he had come. That's what happens when you trust your intuition because you don't realize how far you go. So don't worry about the goal. You'll reach the goal. You really have to be present that take those steps that are guided by your intuitive signals that are going to keep you moving forward and forward and forward. And then you reach whatever goals and successes you want from an intrinsic perspective, not from, you know, I want that Lamborghini and the big yeah. house and that brand name. It's okay if those are symbols of success that you intuitively know are, are, are what you want. But if you're gunning for those, if that's what you want to see, or you want to be a billion dollar company, or you have all these aspirations, but you're not in guiding, being guided by intuition of those signals to get to that, you're never going to get there. Yeah, you're so not going to be fulfilled. So, you will not be fulfilled. And everything is about being fulfilled. You said it bang on. As a business, as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, what I do, it's incredibly fulfilling. And uh, even for my kids, I mean, my 14-year-old daughter is running a, for, she's running a nonprofit agency, an right. official federal, because her purpose of helping those with disabilities and illnesses and it's driven by her purpose. She's raised over $30,000 so far, about a year and a half. Um, and we can't find mentors for her because a lot of the mentors are, okay, do you have an idea? Uh, we're saying, no, she's in growth stage. Well, we've never had someone that's in yeah. growth stage that young. Um, but she is, and she's fueled by purpose, right? And so that's the essence of a business. That's the essence of an entrepreneur. Absolutely. But it starts with intuition, purpose, fulfillment. Uh, that's what gets her the $30,000. That's what helps motivate people to come to her events that's what helps people buy from her website that's the essence of intuition working at play there absolutely i think that's what real success is honestly is the self-fulfillment every day you're just happy you look forward to the work you help people you give back and you mentioned you do some like kind of charity work and things like that what are ways you like to give back and kind of just like help people outside of business yeah. So, so for me, it's, it's reaching out. Um, I reach out regularly to people uh, that uh, if I see there's a, there's a, an Instagram message and people need to help, or I always say DM me or what have you. And there've been a couple of people that I've talked to uh, one gentleman in particular, he was four months behind on his, uh, his uh, spousal support yeah. going nowhere, applied everywhere. And uh, he just didn't have, uh, like he was just at wit's end. He wanted to end his life actually. And I saw his, 
his thing we were watching it was a prince ea video i was watching on instagram and i saw that i need to talk to someone that was his his, his uh, thing and i reached out to him right away we had a we had a conversation and we ended up finding out that his passion and his was fishing uh, and I said, well, what, what, what purpose do you want to give? Like what's in, not in, I don't want to say in those formal languages, but what, what do you want to do this? Why do you want yeah. to do this? And he said, so many fishermen are doing it the wrong way. Uh, and I want to show them how to do this. And he had a love for digital marketing. And this is a welder, a 20 year old, a 20 year welder, yeah. uh, and working in, in gas stations and grocery stores. And I said, okay, so you have a passion, you like digital marketing, you love fishing, you can talk to them. What about affiliate, uh, becoming an affiliate partner, yeah. right? And so sell lures and tackle. I, I'm not a fisherman, but you get a, a, a piece of the pie for that to make sure that your content gets them enough. Don't just say, this is a nice place to fish. They're going to say, that's nice. And they walk away. Your content should be able to provide value enough to say, this orange lure is the one that helped me you know, get a bass that's a pound more. I don't yeah. know. Uh, or you're able to get more fishing because of this, um, this finder that shows you where the fish are a little bit more better concentrated. So then they, he can sell that product as an affiliate and that's the type of content he uses, but he has to be, and he's very genuine about it because I can feel the passion in what he's saying and he's giving me these examples. And so I said, okay, now you know what to do for the next few months and I'm going to check up on you. Nice. Um, and so that's gone from, I need to, I need to talk to someone, someone potentially taking his life to now it's basically saying my daughter is going to be so proud of me. And what a transformation yeah. out of a half an hour call. Seriously, yeah. I think and that's, that what, and that's what I do. Yeah, you can help kind of like at a mass scale, but sometimes it's helping one-on-one with your own hands. It's so fulfilling and nice. I think yeah. everyone needs to try to do that in their own way. You never know when somebody needs that. Uh, and I'm very, very good. If somebody pops in my head, I send them a tweet. Yep. I send them a DM. I send them an email, whatever it is. I always say, I don't know why I'm thinking about you, uh, but you popped in my head, hope things are okay. Yeah. Uh, and in most cases, they're going through something where they just need that, maybe just me talking, hearing me talk about intuition in their mind, or maybe as they're going through something, they want to hop on a call, or it's refreshing because they were having a bad day and they needed that. Whatever it is, uh, it just doesn't hurt to reach out. Yeah. Um, you know. And so I, I, I think people should do that again and have that genuine conversation, have that genuine relationship, or just do it and do it because you're you. Yeah. And that's as genuine as you can get. It's such a tangible, small thing we can do. Just go text a friend, text family, just say hello, check in on Absolutely. people. I think that's a good probably resolution for everyone listening. If you want to kind of keep in touch with people, check on them, that's a good little thing you can do every single day. And if people, if people want to check out your books and learn more about what you do, what's a good way to do so? Yep. So they can go to intuitionology.com. Um, we're just making a bit of a site change next week. We're going to put the books there because the books are right now on sunilgodsey.com. Um, so there's also all of my – I'm on every single uh, – uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram. I'm going to try TikTok without the dancing uh, because if I dance, nobody's going to be watching. Right. Um, so there's that. Um, the books are on Amazon as well. I've got uh, Gut is an audiobook, so you can get that from Audible. Um, lots of ways. You can DM me, send me an email, sydneylikesydneylgodsey.com. Uh, but check out the ebook and do the, go through the seven-day challenge. I mean, those Both are free. Uh, and at least you'll be able to show you how your intuition works to solve a relationship problem for you specifically. It's your intuition, your signals, your problem. Uh, it's not, it's, it, I'm just giving you the process that I've developed, uh, but it's all about you. And so you're really solving a problem for you in seven days. And in that, I've got two case studies, and I'll be very quick because I know we're coming up to time okay. here. Um, one of the case studies is John Harris, who actually uh, used the seven-day challenge 
to uh, he was gonna uh, he was gonna sell his house for twenty thousand dollars under asking because there was a belligerent real estate agent uh, that was coming after him and he he's usually was usually a yes person yeah uh, after the seven days he ended up selling his house for fifty thousand dollars over asking price nice through a uh, bidding war and what he did in the challenge is he just ignored pe- the friends and family who were giving him the wrong advice. Uh, again, he's using his intuition to only listen to those people that would help him. And the second case study, and these are people that go through every single day. The second case study is Ashley Michelle, who is actually a, a witness to a homicide. Uh, she walked into her boyfriend's apartment. He had murdered a common friend. He locked the door behind her, put a knife to her back and said, she's next. Um, he, her intuition got her to settle down and not get emotional. He choked her assaulted her, asked her to clean up the blood, which she refused. Intuition found the way open. She unlocked the doors, ran 18 flights of stairs down the apartment building, called 911. But depression, anxiety, PTSD followed her. So she used the seven-day challenge to minimize that, didn't get rid of it. Uh, but she was able to minimize it to, to go back to the gym where she really could think. And she was able to finally find out how to trust people yeah. again, because that was a big issue. Um, and so those are the two case studies that, that go through the seven day challenge. So if they're able to solve those relationship problems using those seven days, you can too. That's so powerful. That's really powerful. And I'll make sure to put all the links in the show notes, the books, the training, all that, but, um, that does wrap up today's episode. So thank you so much for joining me. That was awesome. Really insightful. And I think that's really going to be life-changing for a lot of people listening, right. including myself. Thank you so much. No problem. We'll talk soon. You bet. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Wise Business Podcast. Share this episode with a friend and reach out to Carmen if you need copywriting services to grow your business.